This week on Champion Church Fort Worth, the podcast, our worship pastor, Dane Hampton, takes over speaking duties for week two of the Love Revolution series. His message, entitled, It's Not About Me, posits the idea that if we realize that everything isn't about us, we will see an automatic improvement in a multitude of areas, including our relationships, both personal and with God. Here's Dane. Today, I have a a message that... um you know, that I think we can all really sink our teeth into because it's really about everybody. Everybody in this room um, is going to be talked about today because this area we all have. We all share this same area, okay? Um, Let me first start. How many of you have a pet peeve? Something that upsets you and gets you every time, right? Yeah, Glenn's waving his hand staring at me. (laughs) Listen to me. We all have them, right? We all have pet peeves. We have areas that just get us and irritate us. And, you know, don't, I hope you didn't look at your wife or your husband whenever I said that because it's probably not a good idea. Um, But let me tell you some of mine. You know, I'm pretty even keeled. I don't get too um, up or down. But some recent things that have happened that really just got me. And one of them is uh, my son recently had an egg project, okay? And let me explain this to you. If you've never done it before, you have to take an egg and build this contraption, which you can have to drop the contraption by tw- like 20 feet high, and it can't, the egg can't break, okay? So, um, you know, he has these designs, and we spend days and nights and nights together trying to build these things, and I think we build like six of them, and they all break, right? And so then the night before it's due... I finally, we finally settle on this one contraption that I'm telling you, it was not going to break. It was perfect. I threw it on the ground. I threw it up against the wall. I threw it up on the ceiling and let it fall down. And that egg didn't budge. And I was thinking, we are the greatest egg project makers in the world. I'm going to make a YouTube video of this one and tell everybody in the world how they're going to make an egg project thing, right? Because we are awesome. We should be engineers. We need to design a new car because our egg didn't crack, okay? So I'm all excited. I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be great. And then my wife texts me, his egg broke the first time or the second time or something. And I'm like, what? I am just, uh, what? Call me. And I call and I'm like, how in the world? Because they had to drop from five feet and then 10 feet and then 20 feet, right? Well, it dropped at 10 feet. And apparently the egg fell out. And I'm like, how could it fall out? I perfectly built the thing to encage the egg. And my son says, because they use medium-sized egg. Who uses medium-sized eggs? I mean, honestly, large maybe. But don't you buy an extra large egg normally or a large egg? Nobody buys a medium egg. I didn't even know they existed anymore. It's like a penny. Who uses them, right? Medium-sized egg. Come on now. I had an extra large or a large egg already in there. They could have just used the egg I gave them. It was free, right? But no, it worked. He said it almost rolled out at the five. The contraption worked perfect, except the egg just fell out of the little holder that we had for it. I was just upset. One, because my son, listen, if it didn't work, you got a 50, if it cracked, you got a 50. My son has never got below an A in his life, and it upset him. And I felt bad because it was on my fault. It was my idea, right? I, it was his idea, but I helped him, and I encouraged him to do this idea because it worked. And I felt so bad. 
And then I found out they threw it away. Right as soon as it broke, they just chucked it in the trash. How, I mean, it hurt. I was like, because I, I wanted to go up there right then and put my egg in and throw it and show them that that thing was going to work. It upset me so much. And, it, <laughs> and it's silly because it's an egg. But, you know, it upset my son and he got a 50. And it didn't matter because he still got a 98 or something in the class. And, and he was all good. And, you know, we learned from it. But, man, I couldn't eat eggs for a week. If I see a medium egg for the rest of my life, I'm going to look at it with disdain. I'm telling you right now, it, it, it's going to get the evil eye. All right? I don't want to hear. And next year, that egg project, I'm going to find out beforehand what size eggs are you using. Because they didn't tell us in the, in the thing, right? All right, give you one more. So we go to uh, her, uh, Six Flags one time. And how many of you all know Six Flags is already pretty expensive? But if you've got to eat there, it's really expensive, especially when you have six people you've got to feed. And a corn dog costs $13, right? So I'm trying to, you know, get the cheapest thing there, and, and we stand in line for a corn dog, and I stand in line for 45 minutes. And I get to the thing, and I'm like, okay, I need seven corn dogs. And they're like, okay, it'll take 10 minutes. Oh, well, first of all, they look at me, and they say, seven? And I said, yeah, seven corn dogs. What's that the big deal? You have a line of about 50 people behind me. You know, and they're like, okay, it's going to take like 10 minutes. I'm like, why would it take 10 minutes? What, what do you sell here? Corn dogs? Throw about 50 of them in the thing. You got, you got a whole line of 50 people, right? And I'm thinking in my head, you know, you see a line of people, count it up. What are they going to order? Corn dogs, because you're a corn dog stand, right? And it doesn't take that much to figure it out. And then I realized, okay, he's a 15-year-old kid. He probably doesn't get this. And so I kind of just tell him, hey, you got about 50 people out here. You might want to throw some more corn dogs in. And he says, we can't. We have to make it to order. And I'm thinking, ugh, pet peeve, right? Stand in line for an hour for six, seven corn dogs. It's crazy. So all of us have pet peeves. We have things that drive us crazy. Stuff like that drives me crazy. I don't know what yours is. Maybe it's drivers. You know, maybe it's... um, that, you know, I don't know, that person at work, or maybe it's that, you know, I had somebody who was an employee at my work that complained because the person next to him ate sunflower seeds all day and was pop, pop, popping them, as she said. And I'm thinking, okay. (laughs) But that bothered her so badly, she couldn't work all day long to earn her money because the person was eating sunflower seeds, okay? We all have our pet peeves, right? Why do these bother us? Why do these things bother us? Because it inconveniences us, right? It's not convenient to us. That, that corn dog stand wasted an hour of my time. It wasn't convenient to me, right? And, and so things that inconvenience us and are not what we feel like is optimal for us, that really bothers us. That puts us back. That sets us back, right? Listen, the reason why is because everybody here shares one thing. We have one thing in common, like I said. And that's we are all madly and deeply in love with somebody. Yeah, some of y'all, you know, you might be looking at your hubby and like, oh, I love you. Maybe you're your significant other, your wife or, you know, whatever. No, it's not that. It's not that. We're all very much in love with somebody. And let me, uh, you know, I'm going to get Terrell Owens. How many of y'all know him from the Cowboys? Terrell Owens, old Cowboys receiver. He's going to explain to us what we all have in common. Go ahead, Peyton. Sweet. Ah, ah, Cause I love me 
me. I love me some me. All right, let's play that again in case you missed it. Turn it up a little bit louder. Because he's telling Because I love me some me. I love me some me. I love me some me. That's what he's saying. We all love us some us, don't we? We come out of our mama's womb, and we are screaming. We're not saying, hey, thank you, mama, for going through all the pain and suffering for nine months. And we're screaming, ah, love me some me. Give me what I want. Give me what I need right now. I want it, I want it, I want it. That's who we are. That's how we start off. We are all inherently selfish. Amen. You guys might be mad at me. Look at me like, I'm not selfish. What are you talking about? We are all born selfish. We love me some me, right? Let's show that group. I'm going to prove it to you. Peyton, throw up the group photo real fast. Okay, this is a group photo of all of us. Just take a moment to look at it. How many of y'all found yourself? First thing you do when you look at a picture is you do what? You look at yourself, right? And especially, hey, you ladies, I'm going to pick on you for a second. If you look at a picture and you look at yourself and you don't look right to you, that picture is going in the trash. You will never see it again. My wife will tell me, you better not Facebook that picture. You better not post that anywhere. It doesn't matter if everybody else in it looks beautiful and it's the best picture ever. You better not post that picture. Right? Because we all look at ourselves in the picture. That's the first thing we look for. And then we think, man, I look kind of goofy. Or we think, man, I look fine. (laughs) You know, that's pretty good one. I'm going to post that one right now. Twitter, Facebook, everything I could put, put it on the the refrigerator, put it on the front door, put it everywhere I can, because that's a good picture of me, right? Look, we love me some me. We love us some us. Listen, say it out loud. We all need to understand this one thing, and I want you to say it out loud, it's not about me. So say it with me. Yes, it's not about me. Now look to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. Now why was it's not about you louder than it's not about me? Let's try it again. It's not about me. It's not about you either. Right, yes, that's what we need to understand today. It is not about us. Listen, Jesus was the perfect example of selflessness. Amen. Matthew twenty two thirty six through 40. I think they're going to throw it up there. Um, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God. And love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. Why, does, why do you think he says love your neighbor as yourself? He didn't just say love your neighbor. He said love your neighbor as yourself because he knows we're all about me. In the end, we're all about me. And if we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, this world will change. Amen? And that's what he's called Christians to do. Listen, he didn't say love yourself. We live in a society that likes to tell us we are entitled to everything. You are entitled to tell that person off at the McDonald's who got your order wrong, right? You're entitled to tell that that person at Starbucks who made your coffee too sweet just what you think. 
You know, you're entitled to tell that corn dog man to throw some extra corn dogs in the freaking corn dog machine. Included. I sit there, amen. We're all entitled, we think, to that. I myself included. I sit there and those pet peeves bother me, and you want to tell them how you think things should be done. Listen, Jesus wasn't like that, though. Jesus, the Son of God, considered him considered others more than himself. Therefore, who am I to consider myself before others? Let me say that again. Jesus, the Son of God, considered others before himself. So who am I to consider myself before others? Amen. He's our example today. He's how we should, should act and how we should be and how we should love other people. Amen. Listen, if you remember last week's message, Joseph didn't understand that. Right? Remember Pastor Sam talked about all the things Joseph went through, right? And it starts off in Genesis 37. And I'm going to recap some of it. And it says, Genesis 37, 5 through 7, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Right? Y'all remember the dream we talked about last week? Listen, Joseph's telling his brothers, I am awesome, and y'all aren't. I had this dream where I am the man, right? And he, also, he already had them jealous because why? He had a coat with a bunch of colors, right? And he was wearing that coat around, and he wasn't ashamed of it. He didn't go hide it. He didn't go put it away saying, I don't want my brothers to feel bad about it. No, he wore his coat in 120-degree weather. He was wearing that coat every day. It didn't matter if he was sweating. didn't matter if it was hot outside. He had that coat on, and he was flaunting it, and his brothers despised him. And then he tells them, you're all going to bow down before me. I had a dream. It's going to happen. What do you think they were thinking? What do you think they were thinking? Listen, I blame the parents. I blame the parents. Somebody should have taught that kid a little humility, right? Just a little bit. Hey, maybe you shouldn't flaunt that coat in front of your brothers. You know, maybe you shouldn't tell your brothers, hey, I had a dream. You're going to bow down to me one day, right? It might, it's going to come true because the Lord spoke to him. But maybe you should have a little wisdom. Maybe you should have a little humility, right? Listen, this leads me to a couple of things I want to talk to us as parents about. And if you're not a parent, then just I'm sharing it with, for you and I'm sharing it for me. Listen, parents, teach your children humility. Teach them humility. They aren't the greatest at everything. So don't tell them they are. They have strengths and they have weaknesses, okay? Every kid does. And it's our job to build their strengths and encourage them through their weaknesses. The problem today with a lot of parents and kids is that we tell them they're great at everything. They can do no wrong. And they grow up believing that there's Nothing wrong with them. Listen, my mom used to sing me a song when I was a baby. How's that song go, Mom? <laughs> it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way or something like that. I don't know. How, I remember it, I guess, from a little kid. But, yeah, okay, let me tell you, don't sing that song to your kids. <laughs> uh, luckily, the Lord taught, taught me humility, okay, a little bit, I hope, right? So listen to me. Teach your kids humility. It's great to tell your kids they're awesome. It is. 
But they have to learn that there's things that they're weak at and there's things they're strong at. Because if they don't know their weaknesses, the enemy has a stronghold in their life and can focus on that weakness and can really uh, just attack that weakness. And those people, those kids grow up not even knowing they're being attacked because they don't know where they're weak and where they need help and where they need encouragement. Amen. So really, train your kids, teach your kids to be humble. Listen, Romans 12, 16 says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. That's the word of God. Number two, teach your kids to consider others. Teach them compassion for the lost and the broken and not judgment. People don't need to know they're drowning. They know they're drowning. They need to know there's somebody there with a hand to help them. Okay? Let me tell you, and we've told this story before. Sam has. I don't know if I have. Um, you know, there's this, there's this message that has gone over the past, um, you know, 20 or even more years where people uh, who claim to be Christians want to get out in the street with picket signs and shout people down that go across them and tell them they're going to hell. And I was walking down the street minding my own business with my wife down in downtown Sundance Square. How many of y'all have been there? Right? Going to a movie. Don't know what movie I was saying. Disney movie, probably. Knowing my wife. We were probably going to see, like, Mermaid or something. Right? And this guy's yelling at us, if you're going to the movie, you're going to hell. Okay. I'm just walking along. I'm really going to see a Disney movie. I'm probably not going to hell, but... You know, I'm just ignoring him. I'm just ignoring him. And then he says something that just stopped me. He said, and your wife's going to hell too. And I, and it just, that pet peeve, that whatever it was, just came up in me. And I turned and looked at him. And I walked over to him and I said, who are you to tell people that they're going to hell? Do you, do you think you're, you're God? And he, he proceeded to just shout me down and scream in my face. And then I see a camera come up and videotaping us. And suddenly we got a crowd around us. And there's like five police officers in short shorts and bicycles around us. And I'm sitting there like, oh, it's on now. I don't know what's about to happen. Lord, hold me back. Somebody hold me back because we're talking. And he's shouting at me and I'm shouting at him. And I'm telling him how much Jesus loves him really hard, right? And I'm telling him and he's telling me. And I finally say, let me talk to your pastor. I am the pastor. And then I realized then how much... People who claim to be Christians can truly hate and can truly be lost. And I said to him, I'm ashamed of this. And I asked him, how many people have y'all gotten saved doing this? And he stopped and he said, it happens. And I'm thinking, it does? And I, I realized then that I might have him there. He goes, well, wouldn't you want me if you're running out in front of a truck to yell at you and tell you to get out of the way? And then my wife said something so profound. It happens. She says profound things. <laughs> and she said to, to him, no, I would want somebody to run out there and shove me out of the way and sacrifice themselves because that's what Jesus did. And listen to me. He shut up after that. And we went to our Disney movie, and we had some popcorn, 
and a hot dog, and we enjoyed it. And I'm still upset about that guy today because when I see them out there, I want to take my own picket signs and say Jesus loves and whatever else, and I want, but I don't. Listen, we need to put our picket signs away, and we need to start serving people. We need to take a new direction and say to people, hey, there's people that I don't agree with, and I don't think these people may be following what the Lord has for them, but I'm not going to sit there and tell them they're going to hell because that's not my job to do that. My job is to love them and serve them, and let's pick up a serving um, towel or whatever you call People that serve hold, right? Let's pick that up and let's put down the picket signs, okay? Let's tell people how much Jesus loves them. Let's serve them. And then maybe we will have a way into their lives where we can speak the truth. Maybe. Or maybe Jesus changes their lives because it's his job to change people and not ours. Amen? We can't change people. Those people aren't going to get anybody saved by telling them they're going to hell. They're just going to make them mad. Just like they made me mad. Listen, we don't need to tell people that they're drowning, we need to put a hand out and help save them. Amen? Amen. Listen, that's number two. So number one, parents, teach your children humility. Number two, teach your kids to consider others. Number three, teach your kids to serve. Listen, studies show that kids are more likely to continue their adult life following Christ if they learn to serve in the church. The world teaches self-promotion at all costs. But the Bible teaches that God promotes those that serve. Amen. Let me tell you this. Um, You are way too small of a thing. You are way too small of a thing for you to dedicate your life to. Let me say it again. You are way too small of a thing. The Bible says our lives are a breath. You are way too small of a thing to dedicate your life to you. We might love us some us, but we need to realize it's not about us. It's about who we serve and who we love and who loves us. Amen? Amen. Teach your children to serve. If you worry about your kids growing up and leaving the church and leaving the faith and not following Jesus and falling away, which every parent probably has a worry about that at some point, that is a Christian and grows up in Christ because we want our kids to follow the Lord and have a life and have it more abundantly. Amen? Because that's what Jesus promises. But listen, if you worry about that, teach them to serve. Teach them to serve in the house. Teach them to come set up or tear down or whatever it is you can do. Teach them to do it. Serve yourself in the house. Whatever it is your gifting is, we need it. The house needs it because the Bible says that you have a gift inside of you that the Lord's put in you to serve and give to us. And when we don't have that gift that's in you, we lack. We lack. Every one of y'all have a, have a place of service in this house that you can be in. Every one of you. Some of you are functioning and some of you aren't. If you aren't, listen, start talking to Pastor Sam about how I can serve, what I can do. Tell him your heart. Tell him what the Lord's put in your heart, what he's called you to do. Because those kids that grow up serving in the house, you know what they learn? They learn self-worth. They learn the Lord loves them and people love them. And they learn purpose. And that's why they don't leave. Because they have purpose. Because God's given them a purpose. Amen? Amen. Listen, Mark 9, 33 through 36, it says, Who is the greatest? Then he came to Capernaum, and when he, saw, when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed amongst yourself on the road? But they kept silent. Listen, they kept silent. For on the road, they were disputed amongst themselves. Who would be the greatest? 
So the disciples were walking around just like arguing, man, I'm going to be the best and I'm going to do this. And they're just bragging and saying all these things. And Jesus asked them, what were y'all arguing about? And they're all quiet because they know they're being fools, right? But Jesus knows, right? And he sat down, called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last and all servant, last of all and servant of all. Let me say this again. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Listen, you, ne- you never, the Lord hasn't established a church where we should walk into the church and say, hey, look, how can I lead? Make me a leader. I want to be a leader because that's a heart of myself. That's a heart of, of selfishness. Listen, the Lord has a heart of how can I serve? And if you have a call one day to be a leader, then be a servant first. Because the Lord will teach you how to lead by serving. Amen? Amen? Listen to me. Number four, teach them not to be victims but to be champions. Listen, this is one thing I know my kids and my wife and I do really well. Because both of us are coaches. So, you know, I feel a little sorry for my kids because we're not real, like, when they get hurt, we're not like, oh, baby. You know, we're like, toughen up. You know, but we're coaches. You know, so deep down, we kind of give them that prodding that a coach would. Right. And listen, teach them not to be victims, but to be champions. They don't need, they didn't get a bad grade in class because the teacher hated them. Look, I'm a coach. I'm a basketball coach. And I have, you know, anywhere from, you know, 12, around 12 kids, boys every every year. Right. And I always have to worry about whether they pass their classes and and, you know, if they're going to play, because right at district time is when you start getting those grades. And people start not being able to play. And all of a sudden, your whole district can be wiped out. Your whole season can be wiped out because your best player didn't uh, pass his class, right? So I always talk to him, and I say beforehand, you know, I, get, I go and I get the message, hey, so-and-so is not passing. And at, at the school I coach out, they have to have um, even a better grade than passing in order to play. And so I get it, line them all up, and I'm like, okay, why aren't y'all passing this class? Why are you struggling in this class? And I'm honest, and I talk out in front of them because it's accountability, and they say, well, this teacher, they just don't like me. They can't stand us. They hate athletes, blah, blah. And they're all in it together, and they're looking at each other like, yeah, man, she can't stand us. She's giving us a bad grade, and she's doing us wrong, blah, blah, And they all get in this little mode of it's all the teacher's fault, right? And I'm like, okay, well, I'll talk to the teacher. So I go talk to the teacher, and guess what? This student had 10 homework assignments, and he turned in two. And so I say to him, you told me that the teacher's doing you wrong, and I go talk to the teacher, and you've turned in two homework assignments out of 10. Well, it only counts for 20% of my grade, he told me. Well, fool, that's 20% that you could be passing if you turned it in. I mean, think about it now. You're smart. If you turn in two things and you've got eight to turn, turn the homework in. Listen, it's not the teacher's fault. It's not your youth pastor's fault. Parents... Kids have to be accountable, especially when they reach a certain age. Teach them to be victors. Teach them to be champions. Teach them to to not be overcome as victims. Listen, no victim ever becomes a victor. Right, Victor? No victim ever becomes a victor. No victim will ever see the victory. I've known people who for 20 years are a victim. And they are still a victim today. And they were a victim 20 years ago. And everything in their life is messed up and wrong because it's always messed up and wrong because they live in the pit and they can't ever see the victory outside of the pit. Listen to me. Joseph, Pastor Sam talked about last week. 
he had a dream, and his brothers despised him. And so what did they do? They took him to the pit, right? They dropped him in a pit. They left him. And he was stuck in that pit. And then not only did he go from the pit, but then he went to slavery. And then we learned that he, he went to jail, right? So when he started out, he was all full of pride, and he was all full of, look at my dream. You're going to bow down to me, and it's all about me, 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 me. And then the Lord allowed him to go through 13 years of the pit, of slavery, and of bondage in jail. But listen, when he went to Potiphar's house, he started to learn. He started to learn how to serve. And let me tell you, he, he learned how to serve so well that they made him the head servant, right? Because he was such a great servant. And, and Potiphar put him in charge of his whole house. And then what happened? Pastor Sam said, Hotifer, his wife, that's not her official name, by the way, but he called her Hotifer, right? And so his wife, Hotifer, uh, she, she kind of, uh, you know, said, hey, uh, you know, I want to be with you. And, and, and he said no. And why do you think he said no? Because he had learned from his past mistakes that he wasn't going to stand for himself and do what he wanted to do. But he had a vision of what God wanted him to do. And it didn't include Hotifer. It didn't include saying yes to Hotifer. As much as he might have wanted to, he honored his master and he honored his God. And he said no. And that shows you that he had learned as he walked through the pit. Amen? Listen, when we walk through the pit, we need to learn something. It's not about ourselves. Tom talked about the pit that he was in and the waves that were crashing. And the whole time, Tom kept his eye on the victory and said, it's not about me. It's not about me because I see the victory that the Lord promises, and I trust in my God, and he is faithful. And, the, and Tom saw his faithfulness, amen, above and beyond what he could ask or think. He needed $10,000, and he got $27,000, from nothing. From nothing. He got a letter in the mail that he didn't throw away. <laughs> right? <laughs> Usually I get letters in the mail. I'm like, I don't want this letter. I'm going to open my mail today, Tom. I'll tell you that right now. I'm opening my mail. I'm going to read it. And if it says, call me now, I'm calling. <laughs> Somebody did me wrong. Yes. Listen, we need to stop and say it's okay to dream. It's okay for Joseph to have the dream. It was. It was from God. It's okay. But the problem was Joseph didn't just see the dream. He saw it was all about himself, and he had to learn it wasn't about him. It was about the dream that God put in his life, and it was about saving a nation is what it's about. God puts a dream in your life. He put a dream in my life. It's not about me. It's about what he's going to do and what he's going to use you to do and how he's going to establish his kingdom greater in this world with you. That's what it's about. Listen, dream big. This church dreams big. You can attend a church that has memories, or you can attend a church that dreams big. You can attend a church that has memories, or you can attend a church that has dreams. Listen, you're attending a church right now that has dreams. We're not walking in memories. We're not walking in the past. We're seeing the future and the victory that God has for us. And we're walking every day. Listen, Pastor Samuel and and your board, we have meetings and we talk about where the Lord's moving us to, what the Lord's going to do for us in a year, what we're going to do down the road. And we have trust and we have faith and we see vision and how the Lord's going to partner us with people and help us and encourage us and, and build us up and strengthen this body of Christ and grow this body because the Lord cares about this house. Amen.
and we dream big. Listen, you need to understand something about that dream, though. It's not about you. Joseph didn't understand that in the beginning, but he began to understand that as he learned to serve. Amen. Genesis 37, 8, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Listen, when you dream big, people will despise you. There will be haters that despise you. I promise you that. But dream big because God put that dream in your life. And don't let anybody discourage you from that dream. Listen, it doesn't matter if people despise you. If someone tries to talk you out of doing something the Lord told you to do, Go talk to somebody who dreamed big and and the Lord was faithful. Don't talk to the person who didn't dream anything and didn't accomplish anything. Go talk to somebody who dreamed big and go say, how did it work for you? Listen, if somebody tries to tell you, hey, you give your money to the church? I get that all the time. You give your money to the church? What a waste of money. What a waste of time. You serve at the church? You go up there every Saturday and set up what? 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 You're supposed to like mow the lawn. I don't want to mow the lawn. I want to serve in the house. Listen to me. Don't let people discourage you that don't ever dream anything and don't ever do anything. Go talk to people that serve. Go talk to people that dream big. Go talk to people that God has put a dream in their heart and it's been fulfilled and he's been faithful. Because then you will learn that God is faithful. He was faithful to his promises. Amen. Listen to me. I tell my kids all the time, don't say I can't. I say, hey, go find, go do this. I can't, I can't find it. I can't. We don't say I can't in our house, do we, do we Maddox? I tell him we are Americans, not Americans. <laughs> don't be an American. Be an American. That's cheesy, I know, but he'll remember that the rest of his life. Every time he says I can't, he says, I'm not going to be an American. I'm going to be an American. My daddy said that. <laughs> Listen, don't hang with those that encourage you to be mediocre. Hang with those that encourage you to be great. How many of y'all need help being mediocre? I don't. I don't need help with that. I can be mediocre by myself. I'm good at it. Right? We need encouragement to be great. Hang out with those that encourage you to be great. Amen? Listen, I'm going to share with you. I have no idea what time it is, so if I go long, I'm sorry. Somebody shout the time at me. Oh, there it is. 843. Hey, man, I still got time. Amen. All right. Canaan won something called an Eagle Award, right? I'd never heard of it before. We're at a brand new school. It's a charter school. It's an awesome school. We were, you know, my wife was really worried when we started because we went from an awesome school to this other school that was uh, much cheaper, free. And, um, you know, we were worried, but the Lord has blessed my family through it. We've loved the school. We've loved the staff. And they, they stopped my wife from leaving one morning and said, hey, don't leave at our gathering with the whole school. We're going to say something that you need to be there for. So she goes there, and she's videoing. And, and um, the, the whole faculty gets up there, and the, the, the per, the, one of the founders of the school and the principal, and they give this five-minute speech on, um, on a specific student who, who is an example in their eyes, in the whole staff's eyes, of what a High Point Academy student should be. And they named all these things, right? And then in the end, it was my daughter, Canaan. And she stood up, and she was crying, and my wife was crying. And my son hugged her and congratulated her. And then he, she walked up and received this plaque where she's the first name on the plaque that's going to hang on the wall for the first one ever to receive this honor, right? And I, I'm proud of her, 
And she, you know, it was unexpected. The Lord honored her and the Lord blessed her because she's a good student. She's a hard worker. And she loves to be involved in everything that the school don't like me anymore. Because she was honored in front of them. And she was worried that certain people might not like her. And so I said to her, you know what? True friends will celebrate you and your accomplishments. And they'll celebrate with you. And those that don't, you can't worry about. And listen, I told you my wife says profound things. And she said this, which was profound. Haters gonna hate. (laughs) I don't know where she got that from. She coined that. Somebody tweet that right now. Haters gonna hate. And I said, amen. Haters gonna hate. Listen to me. When you dream big and the Lord exalts you, there will be haters that are gonna hate. But listen, those that love you will encourage you and say, man, the Lord exalted you because you were faithful and the Lord is faithful. And they will see the blessing that the Lord has put in your life. Amen. And those are the friends you need to hang around. Those are the ones that encourage you. Those are the ones that will build you up. Listen, put God first and dream big. But remember, it's not about you. Joseph had another dream. Will this ever stop? Man, he just keeps having dreams, and is he going to stop telling these dreams? Then he had another dream, and he told his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream. And I'm sure they're sitting there like, what is he saying now? And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. (laughs) This guy doesn't learn, does he? I mean, somebody needs to take him out to the woodshed and beat that boy. Listen, Joseph was consumed with the thought that it was all about him. So like we talked about, God had to take him to school and he had to learn. It's not about him. It's never about you. You know, have we learned it's not about us? Joseph decided in the pit that it wasn't going to be about him. Listen, how does this help us? Joseph was in the pit and he learned for 13 years that it wasn't about him. And he saved an entire nation because at the end of it, he was able to tell Pharaoh what the dream meant. He was able to tell him, hey, look, for seven years, there's going to be great uh, times. And then for seven years, there's going to be bad times. Right. And because of that, they were able to store up all their food and prepare and get ready. And he saved an entire nation from starvation because they knew what God was telling them to do. Right. He had to go through all those things, those dreams, the pit, everything, so that he could rise up and tell the the ruler of all the land what God was telling him and save a nation. That's what it was about. It wasn't about him. It was about God's call in his life. Listen to me. How does that affect me? How does that affect me today? Four areas of your life that automatically improve when you realize that it's not about you. These are four areas I promise you. If you walk out of here today and say, it's not about me, I'm going to live today like it's not about me, these things will automatically improve. One, your marriage. Is that up there? Yeah, marriage. Listen, nobody has marriage problems. We have single problems, and then we get married, and we bring those problems into the marriage. Nobody has a problem with marriage at first, right? You, You bring these problems to marriage. Okay, listen, guys, when you're going to get married, what do you think marriage is like? Man, marriage is going to be great. Honeymoon all day long, all night, right? We're going to have every day is going to be just like the first day. 
just like the honeymoon. We're having fun. We're enjoying each other. We're going to Hawaii. We're going helicoptering and doing it on the beach. And Right. That's a guy's mind. We're thinking, man, everything I've ever wanted is in this woman. She is here to serve me. Right? Women, you don't get off either. Y'all have grown up watching Disney shows. Right? It's not a coincidence that the Disney show ends when they get married. Right? How many of them end right when they get married? Right. Because the happy ever after is over after that. It's over after that. Honeymoon, happy ever after. Then it's marriage. And it takes work. And it takes commitment. And it takes love. And it takes dedication. And it takes an understanding that it is not about me. Listen, if you are married and you think that that wife is there for you only, then you're going to struggle, man. And women, if you think that that husband is there just to serve you and he will never argue with me, he is there to talk to me all the time. He wants to, you know, every need I have, he's going to serve me. He's going to rub my feet and my back. Oh, yes. And then guys are like, yeah, she's going to cook for me and she's going to wash my clothes and she's going to do all these things that we think in our mind are macho and we're going to do. Listen to me. I can solve divorce right now. I can solve it right now. If, every, if the wife and the husband will just go home and say, I am going to outserve you. Marriage, divorce is solved. If I will say to my wife, I'm going to outserve my wife. For the rest of her life, I'm going to outserve my wife. And if she says to me, for the rest of her life, she's going to outserve me. And we are constantly trying to outserve each other. Listen, you will never despise somebody that, you, that serves you out of love and serves you unconditionally. Nobody ever says in marriage counseling, that person just won't stop serving me. <laughs> they are always serving me. It's always, how, what, how can I help you? How can I encourage you, honey? How, you know, I'm tired of it. Can somebody just yell at me every now and then? You know, treat me bad. Nobody says that. You go into marriage counseling and you say, this person doesn't do this, 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 right? Right? That's what you say. They don't say, this person serves me. This person doesn't. Listen to me. Look at your wife and look at your husband. Say, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. Listen, single people, single people, serve your friends. And when you get married, serve your spouse. Serve the people in your life. Serve your mother. Serve your father. Serve those you love. No relationship will ever be torn apart if you have an attitude of servitude. Amen. I can solve divorce right there. Now, that's not easy to do. I understand. But we have to think every day, how am I going to serve my wife? How am I going to serve my friends? How am I going to serve my pastor, my church? How am I going to serve my mom, my dad, whatever it may be? Have an attitude of servitude. Amen. Number two, my finances. Each one of us have made a dumb, irrational financial decision. How many of y'all have not ever made a dumb decision financially? Right. Because if you raised your hand, you're not telling the truth, right? But let me tell you what. Nobody's ever made a dumb financial decision by being generous. I've never thought, well, you know what? I gave my tithe this week. That was so dumb. Why did I do that? You know, I just handed out some money to, to a poor person or helped somebody buy some groceries they needed or I served somebody in some area or I mowed my neighbor's yard, amen, because they weren't able to mow their yard 
or I went and took some food to somebody who was sick, or, or I, I went and helped a, a mother who needed help or a father. Nobody ever thinks afterwards, man, that was a dumb decision, do they? No, you feel good about that. There's a reason, because you're not thinking about yourself. And it's okay to feel good about helping others. If you're down on yourself and if you feel bad about yourself, go help somebody else. And you'll get out of that funk. I'm telling you. Go help somebody else. That's the easiest way to get out of that depression. Well, I'm just, you know, Joseph was in the pit. He didn't stay there in prison and think, oh, for lied. And she just did me wrong. And gosh, would somebody just listen to me, please, and just sit in this victim mentality and he just can't stand it? No, he helped the people in jail. He served the people in jail. And because he served them, the Lord exalted him. Amen. Listen, number one is my marriage. Number two is my finances. Number three, my career. If you want to get on the top, serve other people. Christians ought to be the most hardworking, the most diligent. You know, they ought to be uh, joyful to be at work. They ought to be examples of, of hey, as, of serving their boss in, in the best way possible. You ought to go to your boss and say, hey, Lord, or hey, boss, hey, how can I serve you today? How can I help you today? Um, when they say, hey, do this, don't sit there in the back complaining to everybody. Man, they want me to do this, and I got to do all these things, and I can't even do the stuff I already have. Look, it's easy to get involved in that. I know. But be the person that says, man, I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. I'm going to do that to the best that I can. Because when you have that attitude, they think about that. Even bosses and people you work with that don't get anything about Christianity. But if you have the other attitude, what is their thought of Christianity? Man, these Christians, they just complain all the time. They're just entitled to all this stuff. They're just, you know, Christians, man, we should be in the workforce really being examples of what it is to be a hard worker, of what it is to serve people. If you don't have anybody else in your life to serve, you have a job, serve the people at your work. It'll change your life. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. Number three is my career. Let me tell you a little story. We have a little bit more time. I have a woman at, at my work that works, and she's, the, um, she's like an assistant to, to my boss. And she just... Um, kept getting involved in areas that weren't really her business to be involved in and kind of really trying just causing problems and, and issues and just with her mouth and with other things that she was doing. And I struggled with the fact, did I need to go talk to our boss about this or not? And I, I had not because I don't like to badmouth people um, at all, but I definitely don't want to go to my boss who thinks she's doing a great job and say negative things about her. Because one, that doesn't work out in my benefit at all. That just looks like I'm a person complaining about somebody. So I hadn't done it. I hadn't said anything. Well, one of these, one of my employees uh, submitted an email. He goes off on me because my employee submitted this thing to HR because of what this woman had done. So I didn't want to go talk to him about it. But at that point, I had to give a, a reason, right? Because he called me to the principal's office. So long story short, you know, I have to give a little bit of what's happened, what's gone on in some of these issues. And at first, he was all mad at me. By the next day, he had talked to the HR department. And the head of HR had told me, had told him a history of me at my job. And I had no history of having issues. But this woman had had such a history of issues 
that I was all worried the whole night before with my wife thinking how the next day I have a meeting with him because we were going to come talk but him, me, and her, right? And I'm thinking, how does this work, Adrian? If I go in there and I say anything negative and she starts crying, I'm the big jerk that made her cry. And if I don't say anything, then I'm the big jerk that is wrong in everything. So it was a lose-lose situation for me. And I was praying for, to the Lord for guidance, wisdom. Lord, what do I say? What do I do? You know, how do I, all these accusations that she's making, because she went into him and just accused all these things, my whole employees of doing this and falsifying records and blah, 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 blah. All that kinds of stuff I could get in trouble for. Well, I went in the next morning, and this is providence. This is the Lord's favor. And I walked in, and he says to me, I'm, I had a talk with the head of HR, and he told me her, her uh, past, well, all the stuff that has been done and blah, blah, blah. I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to talk bad about her. I didn't have to do any of the stuff that I didn't want to do. And he just said, I'm going to have a talk with her and tell her this isn't her job. You're their manager. It's your job. She's there to help you, blah, 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 blah. Everything was a whole total switch and change. And I was there thinking, thank you, Jesus, because I did not want, I didn't want to talk bad about her. I was not in a good position. It was not a good thing. But the Lord worked in my life. And because of um, her past and the way she had behaved at the job and my past, I got favor because of that. Listen to me. If you serve at your job, you will get favor in the eyes of the leaders. You will. And the Lord will have that come at the time that you need it. At the perfect time that I needed it, it was there for me. I didn't have to say anything. And he even said to him, hey, don't be too hard on her. I don't want her to be upset. You know, just tell her what you got to tell her. Right? Because I, I, I didn't want any of this to happen. Let me tell you, God is faithful to those that that serve. Amen. Number four, my connection with God. Listen, there are four basic legs of foundational faith in Christ. I have a chair at home and I sit on it at dinner. And every time I sit on it at dinner, it wobbles and this leg is wobbling. And I'm thinking, I got to fix that chair every day. I got to fix that chair, right? One of these days I'm going to sit on that chair and it's going to break and I'm going to fall right down because I didn't fix the chair. Listen, there are four foundational legs. And if you don't have one of them, you're going to fall down. And here's the four. One, read your Bible. It doesn't make God love you more. It makes you love God more. Number two, regular church attendance. People say they don't need church. Well, listen, Jesus died for his bride. He's coming back for his bride. He wouldn't do all that if it didn't mean anything. He wants you to attend church. That's why. Listen, number three, giving. It's not about the church getting money. It's about God getting your heart. It's about understanding that where you put your, your treasure is where your heart is. That's what the Bible tells us. Amen. Number four, serving other people. I believe we are called to serve others because Jesus said we are, one, supposed to love God, and two, love others with all your heart. Amen. Matthew twenty twenty five. Through 28, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whosoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whosoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen, Jesus said we are called to serve. He came here to serve and we are supposed to be his examples. The most dangerous thing that a Christian can say 
in their life is I don't have time to serve. Because you are saying, I don't have time to do one of the two things that the Lord tells us we're supposed to do. Love God and love others. Make it a priority today to serve other people. Make it a priority to serve your wife, to serve your kids, to serve your boss, to serve your friends, to serve your church. Make that a priority. Listen, in closing, I want us to read the Lord's Prayer. Because Jesus was the example. He was the example of a servant. He came to teach us how to be servants. And his prayer was how we should pray. And in it, it talks about the Lord's will be done, not our will. Amen. So as they put it up there, you got it up there? If you don't already know it, you know, say it with me. Let's all bow our heads. You can look at the thing if you need to. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, today, if you've never prayed that prayer before or if you haven't asked the Lord into your heart today and you don't know what this means to be a servant and all of these things, serving doesn't sound like a good idea. Let me tell you, Jesus said that the, the head servant will be at the head of his table. Listen, we are here as a church to serve you. We have people that come and that set up and that do all these wonderful things, play music, do lights, do stage, do food, coffee in the back, kids' church, all these things that people are doing, and they do it to serve you and to serve the Lord. Because they have the idea that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, and if you love everyone else as yourself, that you are doing the Lord's will. Amen. Today, if you don't understand that, but you'd like to know what that's like, and you'd like to ask the Lord into your heart, just say this prayer with me. Father God, I want to be the head servant, God. I want to serve you in all that I do. Lord, forgive me of my sin, God. I am a sinner, Lord. I thank you that your son died for my sin. Lord, the sacrifice that was paid in love, I thank you for it, God. I accept it as my sacrifice for my sin. And I love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, today I just encourage you, serve the person next to you. Be a better, just you and your wife, you know, you and your friends. Say to each other, I'm going to serve you better, greater. You will see the whole, listen, your life will be changed if we walk out of here and we think I'm going to be the best servant. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. Everything will change for you. Amen. All right. I just want to encourage you that today. That's all we have for this week. Come back next week for Message 3 in our Love Revolution series. Have a blessed one.